0: In Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, it says in the Lord's Prayer, And forgive us our sins, as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. In today's episode, we continue with the series, Jesus at the Center of Prayer, with a message-themed peace. As we see in Matthew 6, verse 12, Jesus instructs us on the peace discovered through the act of forgiving. Here's Senior Pastor Brian Jones. Well,
1: good morning. How are you? Good, good, good. Hey, a couple things before we jump in. First, um, I got a a really short email. Um, Hello, let there be light. Uh, I got a short email that uh, I just wanted to encourage you. Um, It was someone who's involved in our prayer room. And so they pray for you guys weekly. They uh, pray for um, just the pastors. They pray for God to move. And this was just a small little prayer that I thought was awesome. But Jeff said this, I was in the prayer room today asking God for guidance And I was overwhelmed with a sense of peace and comfort. He took my heart, guided my words, and as a result, I have never, ever felt more comfortable in sending prayer cards or praying for others who are in need. And so, I've been getting dozens of little notes like this where I just sense that God is working and raising up a spirit of prayer. And so, let me just encourage you. There is nothing that will draw the presence of God closer in your life than a humility and a hunger. And there's also nothing that will repel the presence of God quicker in your life than pride. It's almost like when pride walks onto the stage, God walks off the stage. And so what I want to encourage you with is one of the things that we talk about is we have this resource, these devotionals that we do. And uh, if you have another devotional, that's great. But these aren't just cute resources we create or something we do because we just want to have some things out there. This is what we believe that when you wake up each morning with the humility that says, I can't do life without you, God. I can't do it in my strength and you have a hunger for God, he will meet you in that space. And so I just wanna invite you, God is on the move, I don't want you to miss that and waking up and spending time with God is one of the ways you sense his presence and you encounter him in new and fresh ways. So the second thing I wanna say is this, this week uh, I I want you to be on the lookout, we're gonna send out an email, Uh, I'm doing a video tomorrow, a lot of people have been talking about what's been going on with Israel and Palestine and Gaza and Hamas, And uh, I just felt like I couldn't do what I wanted to do in three minutes on stage. So I'm actually gonna uh, shoot a video tomorrow, send that out. And really, I've been thinking about the fact that we have so many new people in our church. We have people who are newer in their faith and they don't know how to pray or they don't even know what the Bible says uh, on these things. And so uh, the purpose of this video is twofold. One is to biblically inform us as a church, but the second is to guide us in how to pray. And I think this is important because the cultural moment we're in is a moment where we tend to, in culture, call what's good evil and what's evil good. And so, I think it's so important for us to understand biblically how we are to respond to things in our culture and our society. The problem is, is the culture doesn't think in terms, biblically speaking, of, you know, right and wrong. It thinks in terms of left and right. It thinks in political terms. And the problem is if you approach the issues of the day with a political mindset, meaning that you think in Democratic or Republican parties, what happens is when you deal with issues like COVID-19, what happens is all of a sudden the mask aren't a right and wrong issue, it is a matter of which party you're involved in and all of a sudden you approach these subjects with an anger, a resentment, and a division. Or if you talk about things like racism, you'll get so caught up in what's not right and wrong, but what's right and left, that you get divided and you biblically don't understand what's right and wrong, what the scriptures say. Or if you take things like Israel, you can get so caught up in parties that you actually have that inform you instead of the word of God being the source and the truth in your life, amen? And so, uh, I appreciate you right there, my man. And so why this is so important is we're going to speak to contextual issues, but we're going to do it in a way, biblically speaking. I am not a politician. I am a preacher. And so what that means is I want to speak to the issues of the day from the Bible's point of view. And so we're going to do that. We're not going to be afraid of that. And let me just encourage you this, all right? When you look at things from an earthly political perspective, how you know you're looking that way is you have a sense of fear and anger and worry about the future. How you know you have a biblical mindset is that in the midst of chaos, you can have a peace and a grounding and a truth. Why? Because it doesn't matter who is in the Oval Office because the throne of heaven is occupied by the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so, I wanna encourage you with this this morning. Uh, Proverbs nineteen twenty one was a verse that I just think I wanna speak over us, but I love this verse. Uh, It says this, you can make many plans. You can make many plans. The NIV says, many are the plans of man, but, but the Lord's purposes prevail. So what I want to encourage you is this. We know the story and we know the ending. Amen. So Jesus wins. He doesn't fall off of his throne. He's not in heaven, pacing, wondering what's gonna happen. There is a groundedness. You ever notice that Jesus is, the only one time in the scriptures, he's standing. And it's when Stephen is stoned. Every other time, he is literally sitting, why? Because you sit when you're not afraid, when you're not pacing anxiously back and forth. So I just wanna remind you, God is on the throne, we're gonna speak to the issues of the day, but we're gonna do it with a truth, where we're gonna call what's evil, evil, and what's good, good, but we're gonna do it with a sense of hope, amen? And so this is what I want our church, because think about this, in a culture that is divided, what would it look like for this church to be united? And what unites us? What unites us is what we've been talking about for the last several months, that Jesus is the center. And when he is the center, and the word of God is the center, we can have a truth and a hope. And so, sorry, I had to give you a mini sermon. I got fired up. Um, Come on. (laughs) Come on. Let's see if you're clapping by the end, huh? Let's see if you're clapping by the end. Uh, Today, moving um, with no uh, connection whatsoever, we're going to be speaking about uh, Jesus at the center of prayer. We're speaking on the Lord's Prayer, and today's verse comes from verse 12, where it says this, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. The title of today's message is this, Peace and Forgiveness, And really what you're gonna find, the way that Jesus is gonna show we can have peace and forgiveness is first, think of the two beams of the cross. First, there is a vertical forgiveness, which means you experience forgiveness from God. But after you begin to experience forgiveness from God, there's a horizontal part of the cross where you then begin to forgive other people. Now, this is the invitation that we could have a peace in the middle of forgiveness. Now, odd question, but you're in church, so I wanna know the answer to this. How many of you in your life, at any point in your time, have ever been on a bad date? (laughs) Ever been on a bad date? Okay, quite a few of you. Hopefully you're not sitting next to the person that you went on a bad date with. But I wanna encourage you, if you've been on a bad date, even recently, there is the gold medal I read about a little while ago of bad dates. There was a person in Texas who went on a date, he thought it'd be a romantic idea to take this date to a movie theater, and he took her to the least romantic movie possible. Guardians of the Galaxy, volume two. (laughs) So he took her to this movie, and in the middle of this movie, he noticed she was texting. He got so frustrated that his date was texting during the movie. This is an actual case, you can read about this. He sued her for $17.30. He sued her for $17.30, the price of the tickets. Uh, This is actually a story in Texas. They say everything is bigger in Texas, including insanity, right? And this is actually one of the things that he was quoted as saying. He accused her of adversely affecting the viewing experience of moviegoers and said this. He said her behavior was a threat to civilized society. (laughs) So it is no joke. That we live in a Yelp review, Google review. We have a culture that is baked in with negativity, animosity, anger, and frustration. That might be extreme, but we live in a culture where we just have certain debts and we like to hold on to those. Now, the stakes of today's talk, I believe, are incredibly high. Because if you don't become aware of the bitterness and the desire in all of us to hold on to the wrongs that are done to us, what will happen is you might not become aware of some of the issues in your life, and I promise you what will happen is you will find yourself with a string of broken relationships. And you will find yourself, perhaps, jumping from church to church because the moment you find resistance or there is some issue that goes on, you start to move away instead of dealing with those issues. But if, if you deal with the issue of forgiveness, I promise you, you will find a hope from bitterness. You will find a hope in future circumstances you will have an emotionally healthy resistance. You have a thick skin in a positive way. You'll be able to face the offenses of other people and not be crushed. What will happen is you can actually face criticisms and you don't spiral out of control or become undone because there is a sense of hope in the midst of something you are facing. And let me just show you this, I think this chart is really helpful in case I haven't convinced you how important forgiveness is. Why does Jesus talk about this? You gotta think about this. Why does Jesus speak about daily forgiveness? When he is teaching the disciples to pray, this isn't a once a month prayer, this is a daily invitation to pray for bitterness and forgiveness. Now why? Let me just show you this chart. I just put some of these areas in my life. So I'm a worker, I'm a pastor, Um, I'm a child, I'm a brother, I'm a son, I'm a husband, I'm a father, and so you can see these different areas in our life. And one of the things I noticed is that people will say things like this. They will say things like, hey, I, I, I want there to be a separation between my personal life and my work life. It's a great concept. It's an impossible reality. Let me just give you this example to show you this. So, if you become a good listener as a father... It's not like you're going to become a good listener in one area of your life and every other area you're going to be terrible in. And so what's going to happen is if you grow as a listener in one area of your, of, your, of your life, so I'm sure this has never happened, but if your spouse says to you, hey, you're not listening to me, and then you grow in that one area, it's not like you're going to grow in this one area and then become worse in every other area. Your heart can't compartmentalize things. You, you can't silo your heart. What is positive about this, if you grow in one positive area, you will grow in every area of your life. But here's the downfall. When it comes to negative things, look at this. If you take bitterness, so what happens is maybe you're wronged by someone in your work. Maybe it's something more heavy. Maybe it's a, a father or a mother in your life that does something to you. What people will often say is things like this. You know what? I'm just going to hold on to this particular area. It's not going to affect anything else, but I'm just going to hold on to this area. The problem is, it is impossible for it to stay in that area. It will begin to bleed over into other areas of your life. It will create distrust. It will create anger. Your soul cannot compartmentalize, and over a while, more and more of those feelings will begin to take over, and it will overtake the spirit of God and the peace and the hope that he brings. That's why daily forgiveness is such an important concept. So what I want to do today is just give you a couple reasons why we should be involved in daily forgiveness. And this is the first thing I want you to see. We naturally forget God and our culture. This is why daily forgiveness is so important. We naturally forget God and we remember other people's debts. It's almost like the default setting that each of us have is to... Forget God and remember other people's debts. Let me just show you this. This is counterculture what Jesus is speaking about in verse 12. You read these and you go, oh that's great. Yeah, forgive other people's debts. You gotta understand in Jesus' day and our day, what he is saying is absolutely countercultural to what it is that we are we, we are living in society. Let me just show you this. First, culture, when you think about what culture does, is what culture does is it remembers people's debts and it forgets God. But what Jesus is calling us to do is to remember God and forget people's debts. People talk about all the time, hey, I'm not really like a person who has a stage or a platform. I'm more of an introvert. How do I be a light in the world around me? Can I just tell you this very simply? If you do these two things, if you remember God in a culture that forgets God, and if you forgive other people in a culture that constantly holds on to debts, your light will shine people will start to go, what's up with you? This is what Jesus is ultimately teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And so what happens is when you tend to remember debts, after a while that will push out the presence of God or your awareness of God in your life. The same thing happens when you choose to remember God each day, you have a powerful force enough to learn how to forgive other people in the cultural moment that you are in. And so the only thing, I really believe this, the only way you can really forgive people is by remembering God and his goodness and remembering the debt that we had and that he forgave. And I think debt is probably the right word choice here because when the Bible speaks about sin and unforgiveness, it actually refers to it as a debt. In fact, remember the story of the unmerciful servant in Matthew chapter 18? Listen to what it says, Matthew chapter 18. It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down, begged his master, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. Notice this. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. And So when you read the ESV, it actually doesn't say uh, millions or thousands of dollars because that wasn't the currency. It actually talks about talents. It says 10,000 talents. Here's what's interesting. Commentators will say that, that this sum could be a million dollars up to several billion dollars. The point is simply this, this is an impossible sum to repay. And so this guy has an impossible debt to repay and then he holds this other guy hostage over some lunch money and you read this and when I read this, I don't know about you but you just see this and you just go, this is ridiculous. I mean, when I read this, I wanted to find the largest study Bible I could and slap this guy upside the head in Jesus' name. You're like, get it together. And then all of a sudden, this thought that I didn't like hit me. I'm this man. And if I'm this man, you're this man because I'm bringing you down with me, all right? But you think about it. If you're anything like me, I have a tendency to highlight all of your mistakes. When you do something to me, It's sin. When I do something to you, it's complicated, right? And so, it's righteous anger when I do it to you, right? But we tend to highlight everybody else's mistakes. In fact, isn't it interesting? When I do a talk on forgiveness, you're sitting in this room right now going, oh, I really hope she gets this. Oh, I really hope he gets this. And there's someone in the room thinking, I hope you get this. Because we are always so aware of other people's debts. But what Jesus is trying to get us to understand is we live in a culture, the default setting is to remember people's debts and forget God. And the invitation is to live counterculture. You remember God, you remember God, and you learn out of the power of remembering him how to forgive, how to become different in the midst of this. I mean, think about this, you remember what Paul says when he talks about he's the worst of all sinners? He, He talked about the fact, remember Paul, the Apostle Paul who built churches, who wrote, majority of the New Testament, and he says this phrase where he says like, I'm the chief of all sinners. Now, if you're anything like me, when I first read that, I'm like, that's what he has to say, that's false humility. It's like the person on a sports team who is clearly the best player, and he's going, oh yeah, it's a team effort, but in his mind he's going, it's all me. And I thought in my mind, you know what, I think Paul actually is probably just saying this in false humility, and then it hit me, I don't think he is. I think there becomes a point in all of our spiritual maturity Well, for the first part of your life, if you're anything like me, you compare yourself to other people. So so you sort of look at other people's race and you feel good or bad about yourself based on how they're running. But there's a point where you just almost get what I'll refer to as spiritual blinders, where you just start to become so focused on God, you stop comparing yourself to other people. He is your gauge. And the problem with that is when God is your gauge, what happens is you start to see all the things that are in your heart. Christian, can I ask you this? Have you ever had a moment, not where you've wept for culture, but where you've wept for your sin? Have you ever had a moment where you have just looked inside of your heart like I have in God? Really? Have you ever come face to face with your motives? Because what happens as a Christian, you usually get the big sins out first. But then you start to deal with the, the trust structures in your life, your motives. Why did I say that? Why did I do that? And when you come face to face with that, You can go out one day, preach a sermon, talk about God, lead a small group, raise your hands, and then go, this is in me? If you're anything like me, it's like there are times I might spend an hour with God 30 minutes later. I'm cutting someone off in traffic in Jesus' name, and I'm like, how does this happen? It's like I completely forget. But there's a point where you come face to face, and you go, this is what's in me. And this is what happens to Paul. And so he falls to his knees and he begs God forgiveness. Can I just say this? You cannot be overwhelmed by grace until you're first overwhelmed by sin. Some of you this morning, you've got to go back to the beginning before you can see the goodness of God. Because if you have a little debt, if you have a little debt, which means if you think it must be easy for God to forgive you, you're going to have a little grace. If I forgive you $5, that, you're appreciative of it, but you're not transformed by it. And so if you have massive debt, you'll have massive grace. So the way that you become overwhelmed by the grace of God is you get to the point where you see what really is inside of your heart and you go, God, thank you that you saved a sinner like me. And so the invitation for many of us is not just to weep over culture, it's to weep over ourselves and then you get to the point where grace becomes transformative. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke seven forty-seven: I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So She has shown me much love. Notice why. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. And so let me show you something that I think will be really, really helpful as you think about the depth of God's forgiveness to us. There's two important terms that I wanna give you theologically speaking. And so people don't know how how to write these or they don't know how to speak to these. So people sort of use these words interchangeably. But first, the image of God. So let me ask you a question. Is everyone made in the image of God? Everyone. Okay, yeah, you're 100% right. Is everyone a child of God? No. That's why we're talking about it. Come on. Everyone is made in the image of God, but not everybody's a child of God. You, You have to be, this is why spiritual adoption is so important. This is the idea that God takes us and he rescues us. Remember what Galatians 2 talks about? That you were once dead in your sins. You were not a child of God. But he rescued you in his goodness and his kindness. And that's why adoption is such a beautiful picture. Because adoption is that you had a broken past, you had a sinful reality, but God did something unthinkable. He rescued He forgave you, and then he adopted you in his family as a child of God, and then you have the spirit of God that's living and residing inside of you. And so if you miss this, you reduce grace. And you see and you forget where you've come from. You know, adoption is such an amazing thing. Seeing children with broken families who get to step into a loving family is one of the most beautiful pictures. In fact, uh, we have quite a few people who are uh, involved in adoption and foster care here. I think it is such a picture of the church, because it's a picture of people who are taking children, taking people who have this maybe hopeless past, and then they give them a new family, a new hope, and a new future. In fact, I just wanted to show you one picture to celebrate. Uh, Doug and Ingram Wildman, you might know this, but uh, these are three of their adopted children. Are they not the cutest kids ever? And uh, over there, yeah, you can clap for that. And. Over on the left, you have William who's four years old. In the middle, you have Sophia, and then on the right-hand side, you have Maddie. Uh, Sophia was adopted a couple years ago, but what's so beautiful about this is over the summer, uh, Doug texted me and we began praying as a a staff, but uh, they hit all sorts of just snags, and they couldn't get to the place where they were gonna be able to adopt uh, William and Maddie. And the church just kept praying and praying, and I just wanna say, As of about six weeks ago, God faithfully answered those prayers, and those two kids are a part of the Wildman family, which I just could not be more excited about. And I just think that's such a beautiful picture. In fact, here's a picture of their whole family. And so, uh, they get to be brought, and I just think this is such a picture of the church, that you take people who are dealing with past realities and all of a sudden, they're brought into a new family with a new future and a new hope. In fact, I know several of you are involved in foster care and adoption. You're, you're volunteering in the ministry. Maybe you uh, have um, adopted a child or you're in foster care or maybe you've been adopted. In fact, if that is you, I know there's a couple of you in this room. I just want to celebrate that uh, because I think it's such a beautiful picture of what God is doing. So if you're involved in foster care, adoption, or you've ever been adopted, would you do something? Or if your family's involved, in this, would you just stand up? Because I'd love to celebrate just that. And... Uh, love that so you're gonna hear more our church is very involved in that but I just I just when you think about that it is such a rich picture Romans 8 15 says this so you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves instead you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children and now we call him Abba father we call him dad so what God does is he takes a sinful person, he forgives them, and adopts us to be a part of the family. Not everyone is uh, a child of God. Everyone is made in the image of God. So here's what I want you to understand. You can be made in the image of God, not a child of God, which makes you an enemy of God. And this is important because if you don't see this, we reduce grace. And so you don't remember. You can't be overwhelmed by grace till you're overwhelmed by the reality of where you came from. And Jonathan Edwards writes a few reasons why before you were adopted into the family of God, you were actually an enemy of God. And these are incredibly important. First, God is holy and we aren't. People who are not holy do not appreciate a standard that reveals their debts. And if God weren't so holy and we weren't so sinful, perhaps we could get along. Let me just say this. This is incredibly important because you'll get asked this question if you start talking to people who are far from God. Maybe you're in this room and you go, this doesn't seem great. Where's all the grace? Well, let me just say this. People go all the time to me when I'm talking to them. If God is so loving, why does he send people to hell? Let me just give you this one thought. Heaven is not some pie in the sky factory. Heaven is a place where God is. So if someone does not want to spend their life on earth with God, heaven is probably not gonna be a place they're going to enjoy. So hell is just a continued choice of someone to live their life independent of God. It's not God's punishment, it's their continued choice to say, hey, I don't want any part of God, because if they don't want any part of God now, they're certainly not gonna want an eternity with him. But God wants us to know that there is no person who is too far gone, nobody who's outside of his grace and his goodness, and so he's holy and we aren't. Second is he is all-knowing. You know, you ever find it interesting that when we sin, we, we like doing it in hidden places in darkness, like, my, my, my four-year-old girls, they're amazing girls. They are terrible at hide-and-seek. We played hide-and-seek last Friday. Selah would literally hide behind the curtain and her feet were sticking out. And the, the other time, when we were, we were going throughout the house, I was calling, and uh, they were hiding, and you can hear them wrestling a little bit, and so I just, I just did a little test. I said, who wants cookies? And Selah sticks her head out and goes, I do. You know, the thing is, you can try to hide from God all you want. And, and yet, it's about as foolish as what my daughters do sometimes. Because you have a God who sees all, knows all. And the truth is, most of us, when we sin, the last place we want to be is in church. Why? Because we think if we just stay at some distance, we can keep God off of our radar. Remember the psalmist says, where can I flee from your presence? Where can I go from your spirit? If I go to the very ends of the earth, you are there. So the truth is, God is all-knowing, but he's also all-powerful. See, if God were holy and he were all-knowing, but he was too weak to do anything about it, you wouldn't have an issue. But God is the greatest force on heaven and on earth and under the earth. He is all-powerful. And so all these things make us enemies of God. But here is the good news. Some of you are amazing sinners. I'm an amazing sinner. But as great as you are at sinning, I say this all the time, Jesus is a better Savior. As great as you are at sinning, Jesus is a better Savior. As great as you are at sinning, Jesus is a better Savior. If you believe that, come on, I appreciate you. You got to get them going, Susan. We got to get you in the middle, get you a microphone. But if you really believe this, this will transform everything. You wouldn't sin and then all of a sudden not want to spend time with God and work off your debts for a few days then come back to him. You would wake up and go, God, thank you for grace. You'd be overwhelmed by grace once you sin because you would understand that as a child of God, you've been adopted. You had a past. you You had a history. You had some issues. You were broken. And then all of a sudden, God in his kindness gave you a future love and a family. When you are overwhelmed by sin, then you can be overwhelmed by grace. This is why adoption is such a big deal and if you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, let me just encourage you, there is a real king, Jesus' his name. And if you repent of your sins and believe in him, you can have eternal life. But the truth is, the reason I show you this is that you will never be able to forgive other people until you see this. The starting point of forgiveness, the only force potent enough to tear down bitterness, resentment, and anger is grace. And so you start with this point. And Jesus is showing us in a culture that remembers debt, the way to start to forgive people is remember what Jesus has done for you and then it begins to transform you. But the second and final thing is simply this, unresolved debt grows and poisons our faith. Why is daily forgiveness so important? Because we live in a culture that remembers debts and forgets God. But also, if you don't deal with the issues that you have right now, the wrong in your life, the debt that you have, it will grow and poison your faith. Think about it like this, in a bank account, In the bank account, if you have money that you don't touch over a while, that will grow with interest. Now, the truth is the kind of investment or account you have and the the amount of money will affect the interest, but the principle still remains, that thing will grow over time. And if you don't deal with the wrongs that have been done to you and you just say, hey, I'm going to keep them contained and compartmentalized, over time, those things will grow. And they will start to capture more of your thoughts, more of your affection and more of your heart for Jesus. In fact, let me just show you that chart one more time. Just to to illustrate this, you cannot have a compartmentalized, siloed part of your life. It will bleed over like a cancer into some part of your life. And that's why you see people over time, they become less trusting, more bitter, and the fruit of the Spirit isn't fully present in them because this starts to dominate their life. And so you see this. And let me just say this. Nothing, again, drives out the presence of God quicker than unforgiveness. And let me just add a phrase to this. Your level of anointing, your level of anointing really depends on your level of forgiveness. Your, your level of anointing really depends on your level of forgiveness. What I mean by this, think about this as a principle. When you forgive, what you are doing is you are literally pulling heaven down. That's why Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we forgive others. But when you harbor bitterness, what you are doing is you are inviting the enemy in and you are pulling hell up. The enemy operates in division, bitterness, and anger. So you are inviting him into that space and you are pulling that up. Perhaps in the Bible there is no greater example of a man who was anointed than Joseph. But you know what Joseph had? Some problems. There were countless things, beaten up, sold in slavery, put in a pit, He is falsely accused of raping a woman. He's forgotten about, but you ever notice what it says about Joseph? It keeps saying these phrases and God was with him. God was with him. There was a level of anointing that this man had because in the midst of difficulty, he chose to remember God and forgive or forget debts. Listen to what it says in Genesis 50. His brothers in Genesis 50 find out that Joseph's now second in command and they're worried about him retaliating or getting even with the debt that they had done. And so they responded to him and said, we're sorry, but listen to what Joseph replied in verse 19. Do not be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. He could only do this by focusing on God. Let let me be clear. This stuff about forgiveness is great to talk about. It is hard to do. In my house, my son and I will usually wrestle. And uh, one of the things he's gotten is this phrase, whenever we wrestle or whenever I walk up to him, he will say this phrase, dad, I get the last hit. I don't know where he learned it, but he just, just, I gotta get the last hit. So every once in a while, I will walk up to him and I'll just touch him. And he will look at me and go, dad, I gotta get the last hit. I don't know where he learns it, I guess he learns it from his mother, I don't know where all this come from. (laughs) But the thing is, isn't it true, deep down, that we are people who want the last hit, last word, last thought, last right? Everybody loves the concept of forgiveness until you face that. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have someone to forgive. Truth is, we watch movies. Think about the movies you watch. You watch movies called The Avengers. No one watches movies called The Forgivers (laughs) because we live in a culture where retaliation and getting right and getting even is fun, and we go watch movies about justice and having the last hit, and Jesus says, you want to live counterculturally? You want the anointing of me? It costs something. Everyone wants the anointing, but you don't get it going, Jesus, I'll give you 95%, but I'm going to hold on to this one area. The only way you get the full anointing of God is full surrender, and that's a price that not a lot of people want to pay. And so Jesus is not minimizing what you've had done to you. He's just saying, this is the price of a life fully surrendered to me. I forgave you, and when you start there, all of a sudden you can understand that you can forgive other people. And if you don't, what's gonna happen? It's going to be a debt, it's going to be a poison that's gonna overtake you. Uh, I watched a movie that is incredibly too long uh, the other day with my son, uh, Lord of the Rings. And so it is like nine hours, these three movies, good movie, but just incredibly long. And you know what's interesting, spoiler alert if you haven't seen the movie, the whole principle is this one guy, Frodo, is trying to take what, this ring, and he's trying to destroy it. So you watch Frodo at the beginning, he don't want the ring. But by the end of the movie, you ever notice this? He has a chance to destroy the ring, and he doesn't do it. So the very beginning of the movie, he has this ring, he doesn't want the ring, and then at the very end, the very thing he doesn't want that he would have given anything to destroy at the beginning, at the end he doesn't destroy it, why? I think part of it is he got so used to carrying the weight of that thing. I think he got so used to thinking about how much this had affected him, the pain, the hardship, the issues, the toll it had taken, that when he thought about letting that thing go, he couldn't imagine a life without that weight. People, you notice this, people will stay in what's miserable if what's miserable is familiar and comfortable. I'm telling you, there are some of you, the moment I start speaking about forgiveness, you go, God, I'll give you anything, but I'm not giving you this. And you have been so used to carrying the weight because that father, that friend, that sibling, that person in your life that was supposed to love you and protect you and cherish you has wronged you. And it is a wrong. Let me just say this, forgiving is not forgetting. But forgiving is choosing to move forward, not letting that thing have the final word, letting the grace and the goodness of God have the final word. It is finished is not just a great thought that affects us years down the road when we go to be with Jesus, it is finished means that you can have freedom right now in him, that bitterness and weight and the gravitas of all that evil and all that atrocity can become freedom because where the spirit of the Lord is there's freedom, amen? So let me just encourage you, if there's anything in your life, little that you are holding on to, this happens to me all the time, is that oftentimes for me, now it's not the big issues, there's just these things in my life that if you annoy me enough, I'll just walk around and judge you in my mind. And Jesus goes, nope. You got to let go of those debts. And so some of you, you you know that there is someone in your life that just irks you to death. And you're avoiding them. And it's not just the big issues, it's those little things. Because guess what happens? Those things grow and grow over time. And when you look at a brother and sister who's in Jesus and you degrade them or you judge them, that is not the way of the Spirit of God. And then the Spirit of God can't take over and give you the full anointing. And this is difficult because there are no terms with Jesus. You don't get to pick and choose, even if that person does something wrong, which is frustrating. But this is the way that we do it. And you know what's interesting is, I'll close on this, everyone reads the Lord's Prayer, but you know what comes right after the Lord's Prayer? It's right after the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 14. So if you don't think forgiveness is that big of a deal, Jesus gets done teaching about the Lord's Prayer and then he says this, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. I don't like that. What you are doing, think about this, when you pray this prayer, what you are saying, think about this as we wrap up, think about this. What you are saying is, God, forgive me to the degree I forgive other people. Forgive me to the degree I forgive other people. If God forgave you to the degree that he forgave other people, what would that look like in your life? So I just encourage you, this is the way. And let me just say this. This is not a workspace mentality. What this is saying, what this verse means is simply this. When you become overwhelmed by your sin, you become overwhelmed by grace. And so I cannot come face to face with what's in my heart, experience grace, and not have it ripple out to other people. And it doesn't mean I I forget what they've done to me doesn't mean I'm not wise around them. I don't have to keep putting myself in bad situations. It just means I let go of the right to keep punishing them over and over in my mind. And I let go of the right to harbor this because Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for you and I. Can I just encourage you with this as we close? Do you know why the revival in Asbury happened? See, you'll see the picture behind me. This was two weeks, two weeks of the move of God so powerful that thousands of Christians, tens of thousands of Christians just descended on this little college. But do you know why revival happened? What happened was, the story goes that there was a girl who had wronged and offended half of her classmates. And one day during a worship service like this, she stood up, And in front of all the school, she just said, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And the spirit of forgiveness fell in that room in such a way that other people began to forgive and let go of other things. And it was like the presence of God just fell so thick on that room that no one wanted to leave. In fact, the teacher said they just let them stay there for a while, and they came back and they heard songs of kids that were singing because forgiveness sparked a move of God. Everyone wants the anointing of God. I want the anointing of God, but I don't want it on his conditions. sometimes. God, I'll give you everything, but not this. God, you can have anything you want, but you don't know how wronged I was. The anointing of God comes as you forgive. So can I just ask you to do something? Oftentimes what happens is when God moves in you spiritually, I think physically there's an invitation to respond to that and so what I want to do is you you don't have to come say anything to me but I am going to ask you to respond to God if you're in here and it could be a little debt where you just find yourself judging some people and with holidays coming up this thing's only going to increase or maybe you're in this place right now and you just know that there is some bitterness that is still in your heart it is a process but can I ask you to do something bold real quick if there is any bitterness, forgiveness any issues that you're facing or someone in your family is facing would you do something? would you be bold? would you stand up? I'd love to pray for you If there's any bitterness or unforgiveness that God is putting on your heart and you need to respond to that. As we close, I'm just gonna pray that God would meet you in that space. What I also wanna invite you to do at the end, we have counselors who come prayed up. I'm gonna pray for you, but I invite you to come down and let them pray over that circumstance in your life. And nothing less. You can come down to the altar right here. You can just kneel. But I'm I'm telling you, when you let go of this forgiveness, anointing, the goodness of God is what He'll replace it with. So I'm grateful for you. If you would, would you just open your hands as a symbol that you're letting this go? You're not holding on to it. So God, we thank you. We thank you that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. I don't know what everybody in this room is caring today, but you do. I pray, God, as we open our hands as a symbol of our willingness to trust you and let go of those debts that your spirit, your Love and your anointing would fall. God, it is our way to say we surrender. And so where the enemy has intended evil, God, I pray you would take this area and you would rise up a sense of faith and love that is transformed and uses this circumstance to point others towards you in a culture that forgets you and remembers debts. As we stand up as the church, we are saying right now, God, we want to live not in the way of culture, but in the way of Jesus. And so what we are saying is we are letting go of those debts because you first forgave us. And we're saying, God, we choose to remember you. And in this moment, God, I pray this would start the supernatural process of bringing a forgiveness, an anointing, and a power, a power in the lives of those who are standing. So Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your many blessings. And it is in the mighty, wonderful, amazing, name above every name that we pray, the name of Jesus Christ. Everyone agreed and said, amen. Amen. Hey, you are dismissed. Uh, We'd love to pray for you again, whatever that looks like, come down. Uh, Thank you.
0: Jesus tells us in Matthew six, verse 15, that if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Ask God to reveal anyone from whom you withheld forgiveness. Pray over each other, asking God to help you release the hurt and replace it with his peace. Praise him for the mercy and grace that he gives to you and me every day. If you're just joining us for the Jesus at the Center of Prayer series, there is a daily devotional that you can follow. This will help you spend time with God every day. You can find the daily devotional on the Brookwood Church app. Thank you for listening to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast today. We value your feedback, so we kindly ask you to leave a review. Your insights can really help others discover the potential of having a transformed life through Christ. Thanks for listening today, and we look forward to seeing you during our next episode.